Hello and welcome back to another episode of Relentless Optimism. I'm your host, Kate Gould. On today's episode, I'm delighted to be chatting with Barry, who is a 59-year-old computer analyst and he had a brain injury about three years ago. I'm also joined by Jai Carmichael. Jai is a provisional psychologist and Doctor of Clinical Neuropsychology candidate, who I've been supervising at the new Turner Institute training clinic at Monash University called the Positive Behaviour Service, where we're translating the results of our trial into clinical practice through training and research. Jai has been working with Barry and I over the past few months, and in this episode, we're going to focus on antecedents, and the flexible behavior analysis elements of PBS+. So in short, antecedents are the situations or the setting events that happen before challenging behaviors. You might have heard of an ABC model where A stands for antecedents, B is for the behavior itself in an objective, observable way, and C are the consequences or the things that happen after the behavior that might reinforce the behavior to keep happening again, whether that's something desired or not desired, or it could be something that means the behavior is less likely to happen again. So thinking about an antecedent, those can also be called setting events or background factors, or it could be an immediate trigger. So like for Barry, when another car cuts him off the highway, or it might be something more remote or in the background that could have happened earlier that day or even that week. It could be something like having a bad night's sleep. So in terms of the consequences, when we think about all behaviorist communication or used to get a need met or because it's been reinforced, in PBS Plus, we use a very flexible approach to behavior analysis to understand why the challenging occurs in the first place. What's the function of it? What might be reinforcing it to keep being used as a way to get that need met? And this then helps us work out other ways to help that person get their needs met without using challenging behaviours. Thank you so much for joining us today, Barry and Jai. Hi, Barry. Hi. So, Barry, could you tell us a little bit about what your life was like for you before the brain injury happened? I was working in Norway, um, had a good income, got married, lost my contract, so came back to Australia. I had one child at the time and I was working in a forklift driving job while I was looking for further work in IT. I just spent 10 years working in Europe on IT systems. I was hit by a semi-trailer doing a right-hand turn across my line of traffic and woke up in hospital 13 days later. So you had a really significant uh, car accident and really serious injuries. Yes. I know that you've had a significant brain injury. What other injuries did you have? I was in a technically a coma for 13 days. Apparently I was conscious but not there. I woke up 13 days later. I had 23 broken bones. Uh, punctured lungs, four vertebrae fractures, uh, three brain bleeds, still reinforced jaw now, and an artificial knee. Yeah, wow. So just a really major, very significant injury to 
so many parts of your body, really. Were you aware that what had happened to you after the accident had happened? Uh, no. I have conscious memory of going to sleep the night before the accident and when I woke up in the hospital, I literally went, this isn't my bed. I went to sleep last night and I did a panic because I realised it was a hospital bed and yet had no idea. I didn't know why I was there. I didn't remember getting up the day of the accident or going to work, working eight hours or coming home. And it took them two hours to sort of explain to me that I had three brain bleeds and that my whole body was broken and that I hadn't actually been expected to live. That's a, a, just such confronting news to wake up from and, and losing that memory and that amnesia for what happened you know, during the accident as well and that time before is it was very common, but it's, it's very confronting, very scary to, to not have those memories. Yes. Uh, for me, I don't know if it's more, but it drives me crazy because I was a computer analyst and my entire career was fixing problems, knowing them, working them out and fix and there's nothing. It's so frustrating because I can't, still can't, don't know what happened. You mentioned having problems from from this injury. Can you talk to us about what were the main changes for you that you experienced, particularly from the brain injury? Absolutely unbelievable. I was an analyst. I could sit in meetings for hours with people that were screaming about losing millions of dollars because I did financial recoveries. And I had several road rage incidences before I realised that this wasn't normal. I have problems concentrating and remembering things, even to the point I walk out of a room and can't remember why I walked out. So there's a lot of learning. I have to adapt to a new life. Yeah, this is a massive adjustment and some real challenges, you know, particularly the road rage I know causes you a lot of distress and, and for your family as well. The effects it causes to my family are the biggest thing. I mean, I understand that if I road rage... I'll end up getting a record, but my children and my wife don't need to grow up worrying about when a man's going to explode, especially not their father and husband. That's not my job. And yet you're so aware of the impact it has on your family, which I think is really helpful from the place of wanting to improve and being ready and motivated to address this. We started working together um, several months ago and when you sort of came to us can you tell us what was going on in your life at, at that time earlier this year? Prior to meeting you guys I had worked in two jobs neither of which worked very well. One, The first job was quite successful but the company decided that I was a little bit too much trouble for them. I was there for eight months and loved it, but apparently I stood up for myself too much. The second job I worked for about four days and did a major tear and a muscle in my arm and they've asked me not to come back. So effectively for the last three years, I've lived at home. I stay here 24 seven. I drive up the shops for the wife to do the shopping watch the grass grow. I find driving is very stressful and my wife no longer wants to drive in a vehicle with me because 
I lose control. I don't lose control, but I get really angry really quickly, like turning on a switch, and I'm at risk of losing my marriage. Barry, it sounds like there were a lot of reasons to want to get some help with what was going on in your life. Do you remember what brought you to working with us to reach out to the Positive Behaviour Service? I'm pretty sure, I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure that one of the researchers at Epworth um, Brain Injury Research mentioned you and sort of put us together. Yeah, it's grown from there. Epworth Hospital did a lot of my rehab and they pointed me in the right direction apparently. Well, we're so happy that you did connect with us. And with the approach we use, Positive Behaviour Support Plus, PBS Plus, where we start the conversation is usually about, rather than the road rage and and the behaviour and the anger as the starting place, we step back and we think about what would a good life look like? What are the really big deals, the things that really matter to you that would make a meaningful difference that you really want to work towards. So for you, Barry, do you want to tell us what those big deals were? The primary one for me was being a good father and making my wife happy. I used to get angry at incredibly small, immaterial things. Driving was a major obstacle and I'd, I'd yell at my kids because they'd hiccup the wrong way type thing. And I knew that they shouldn't be growing up with somebody yelling at them. That's not how kids grow up. I wanted to get my life back, get a job, get working, have my family and just generally build a happy life. Yeah, so those family values and your identity as someone who is a good role model, can be a really good dad and husband, so valuable. And the anger, that becomes an issue where it's getting in the way of you being the dad that you want to be and having for your kids to have that upbringing that you want them to have. So I think that was, you know, some really important work to address. And it's certainly something in our research we found that wanting to be a good parent and a good partner was actually something a lot of people said that they wanted to achieve too. That's the most important stuff in life is the people you live with. They're your life. And doing this work, we were really um, lucky to have um, training with us as a provisional psychologist, Jai. So hi, Jai. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kate. Thanks for having me. And in in the work that you were helping um, Barry and I to do, do you want to talk a bit about what we call a flexible behavior analysis? Yeah. I mean, I think... um it's a really fitting topic for this episode because I think um, flexible uh, behavior analysis was really pervasive in the work that we were doing. It was sort of something we used each and every session. Um, and I saw it as a way of uh, structuring conversations between Barry and I uh, in terms of, okay, there's this behavior. You know, what are all of the things that we know preceded the behavior? What are the, the triggers, the background factors? And then what happened after the behavior? How did you respond or how did others respond? How did you feel? Um, and so it was a way of structuring those conversations, but it was also, and it's in the name, really flexible in the sense that there were no hard and fast rules. It really was just a conversation. Um, and it was about those, those antecedents, the behaviors, the consequences, and then 
pulling all of that information together to then try work out the function of the behavior. So what, what's um, our theory? Or we might have multiple theories for why you know, Barry was behaving in a particular way or the kids were behaving in a particular way. Um, and that then was a springboard to actually come up with some strategies um, to test out these theories and see uh, if they made a difference. Mm. And those conversations then led to also us working out how we're we going to tell if our experiments are working and sort of measuring different ways of tracking road rage, for example. Is it how often it happens or is it how angry Barry gets on a kind of scale and we've sort of tried a few different approaches to really be able to sort of test out our theories. Mm, yeah, that's right. So we did have that um, anger management scale around the road rage, just a simple sort of uh, one to five or maybe it's zero to five. I can't quite remember. And then, you know, um, we were also testing this out around um, Barry's children's behavior when they would sort of interrupt the sessions. And so actually, you know, mid-session I would take notes about these interruptions what was happening and I guess that's why we call it a flexible behavior analysis it, it really was you know quite um, loose and, and it made sense in Barry's context to measure. It's flexible in that we can apply it to different settings and we can also use different types of data through observation through theories through measurement um, to yeah really get a, a, a a shared understanding of what's going on for you, Barry, why these behaviours are occurring and what we can then do to try and help you not not get into those situations or have different ways to manage it um, and to learn more about yourself and yourself as, as, a, as a person and as a parent and, and as a husband as well. I really like, uh, Kate, how you said it was about developing a shared understanding um, and I think for me, what I would want to stress to people listening is that, um, you know, it's called flexible behavior analysis, or I think, you know, uh, other terminology is like functional behavior assessment, um, which makes it sound sort of strictly like this analytical tool or assessment tool. But um, I feel like we really used it therapeutically. Um, you know, it wasn't just something that you or I as clinicians were doing behind closed doors. Um, it's actually something we did together in session where, um, you know, I'd share my screen and, and Barry and I would just start to map it out together. Um, it wasn't something I mapped out beforehand. Um, it was just a, yeah, a really nice way of structuring that conversation in the moment and coming up, as you said, with a, a shared understanding. Yeah. And I think ultimately that, that is about kind of that knowledge transfer between us having these tools that we know how to use and then working together with Barry to individualize it to your situation and at the end of it that you're the expert on yourself and that you become your own PBS plus practitioner. And so what was really cool when I um, I was only at the service for a limited amount of time on placement um, and Barry and I had our last session together maybe like a month ago now, I guess. Um, and then the last five minutes or so just sort of mentioned offhandedly that he had started meditating before getting in the car. Um, I think that's an example of Barry becoming his own PBS practitioner. He's learnt about flexible behaviour analysis and antecedents and, and background factors and 
you know, some of the background factors we talked about were, you know, feeling stressed or tired or in pain prior to getting in the car. And so Barry sort of just deciding to use that strategy, you know, really has come from this work and appreciating those background factors and sort of learning over time to, you know, regulate his own behavior. Doesn't work all the time. Never does. Another tool that um, is really neat that you worked on is developing self-regulatory scripts, some messages, Barry, that you wanted to say to yourself and remind yourself when you're driving about your identity of what what being a good driver means to you. Yeah, a a good driver is the quality of a driver is rated on how comfortable his passengers are. My mum taught me that from when I was about, I don't know, 15 or 16. Those sort of things. And it's not happening. I think you expressed that beautifully. Jai, do you want to talk to how we used that really important ethos that Barry has? In one of the, the earlier sessions I had with Barry, and Barry's really good at coming up with strategies, actually. And he sort of said, you know, I just need a sticker in my car to remind me of this ethos I have around, you know, being a good driver is measured by the confidence of his passengers. And so, you know, you and I said, well, why not? Let's do that. And we, we made a sticker and we, we posted it out to Barry and then, you know, Barry popped it on his dashboard and it was just, yeah, it was, it was, that was one of a series of things that we started to add to, to Barry's toolkit to manage road rage. And a lot of it was proactive and, and came from that knowledge of the background factors that we identified using this flexible behavior analysis. And I really think that the most successful strategies are the ones that the person themselves comes up with. That, um, and that I think, I think when you're starting out and learning how to do PBS Plus work, it can be hard to go in not having all the solutions ready to go and to sort of have some trust in the process that the person has that knowledge and has that expertise and that they will bring that there. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree, Kate. And I think if you um, you are too anxious about having all of the answers as the clinician, you'll miss um, those, those opportunities where the client does just mention something, you know, off the cuff about, you know, having a sticker or XYZ strategy. And, you know, those are the ones that are really going to work. Um, and it goes back to, um, you know, one of the foundational principles of this PBS Plus approach, which is that it's, person driven. And I will confess that um, when starting out in the clinic, um, I just thought it was a bit of a buzzword. I didn't, I don't think uh, fully appreciate how it might be different, um, for example, from being uh, person or client centered, which is another word that gets thrown around a lot. But actually, it, it really was doing the flexible behavior analysis work with Barry that I actually started to get what being person driven meant. Um, you know, instead of doing this formulation or assessment on my own, which is what you tend to do as a neuropsychologist or another clinician, you know, I I would have no idea what we were going to formulate, but we did it together and we did it in session. Um, And, you know, Barry had really good sort of insight and self-awareness and ability to brainstorm that he was bringing a lot of these ideas to the table and they were not necessarily ideas I would have thought of. Barry, you're the expert on your life and this, this work is for your life. This is your, your kind of help. So we're supporting you and giving a bit of a structure 
to having those conversations and giving you some information that about what works for other people or what the theories say, but then actually applying it to your life. That's not something that we can do without you. And you need to be, and you're, or you're enabled to be the one driving this. It has. What you guys have shown me, and it's funny, you say you can't do it without me. I can't do it without you. That all the little steps and the processes that you've shown me have they've made a difference. A lot of the ideas I still use, so the earthing, um, meditation, touching, being in the now, um, that's part of the touching thing, but it helps. It's not perfect, but it helps in incredible ways. Well, I mean, you know, I think that Barry, you've been really ready for it, really motivated. You come with a lot of insight and a lot of, I guess, realism as well that this doesn't all get fixed magically overnight with one idea that's going to change everything. But bit by bit, we've, bit by bit, we've got these building blocks, this strategy, this bit of understanding, this experiment, trying this out, remembering what's important. And it just sort of grows and grows till I think you're starting to, to feel more confident that things might be still up and down, but that you we, we kind of expect that to be the, the, the way it goes and that you've got more skills than you had and those will put you in good stead to navigate the ups and the downs. It has. It's made an amazing difference to me, even though it's not an amazing transformation. I still don't know why you can't stop with that wonder tablet that just fixes we'd be millionaires (laughs) billionaires Jai I'm wondering if you can sort of map out in a bit more detail some of the work that you are doing with Barry yeah I mean to um you know keep it to that sort of theme of today's chat around flexible behavior analysis um sort of two uh key examples in which we use that so the first was around parenting and, you know, that's directly related to, you know, one of those big deals Barry was talking about earlier around being a good dad and a good husband. Um, so we, we use that actually to look at why Barry's kids were interrupting um, the sessions themselves that we were doing. So it was sort of happening in the moment and that was an opportunity for Barry and I to sort of, you know, well, for me to directly observe the behaviours as they were happening and for Barry and I to start formulating on the spot. Um, And, you know, we started to think about the background factors, for example, as to why the kids might interrupt the sessions. So, um, you know, this was sort of peak, I think, lockdown number six in Melbourne. So, for instance, just an appreciation that the kids had been stuck in the house a lot and maybe they were a bit bored or restless. And so that became one theory for the kids interrupting was maybe it was around boredom. Um, we had another theory around attention. And so we had, you know, that they were interrupting because they, they wanted some attention from dad um, and mum was at, at work um, full time. And, and so we developed a few strategies based on that FBA. You know, one was around if, if it's about attention, then maybe Barry could schedule 30 minutes of what we called dad time before a session. Um, and so we tried that out and we, you know, monitored the number of interruptions in subsequent sessions. And there was a bit of a, a drop in the interruptions, but then 
you know, based on the data we collected, we, we worked out the kids were also sometimes interrupting because they wanted things in order to be able to play a game, for instance. And um, that was sort of speaking to our other theory around maybe there was a bit of boredom and that it was hard for the kids to entertain themselves for the hour that we had our sessions together. And so we reviewed, you know, um, thinking about that sort of problem-solving framework. We, we reviewed and then we, we made an adjustment. And so, um, you know, another strategy that then came um, from this FBA work was around um, Barry having some activities for his two-year-old son and his six-year-old son that when they did interrupt the session, um, he could give them some options of some things to do. Um, so I think that was one example of um, when we used flexible behavior analysis. And Barry, do you want to speak a bit about how that has impacted your parenting and your relationship with the kids? Oh, unbelievable. Um, I have a six-year-old who was beginning to withdraw, not communicate so much. And the last few months, he's, I got my little boy back. And, yeah, he's talking to me and he's proud and he's a lot more happy. And my two-year-old actually calls out to me now so you know it's made a huge difference that's wonderful barry you know going from a place where things were getting really frustrating for everyone and not having really other options to deal with that frustration when you have that low frustration tolerance and the anger goes up really quickly and when you're not sure how what the kids want and and how to help them and they keep coming in and in and in when you've got the time you really value for therapy and that was leading to you know arguments or yelling or a lot of frustration and that's you know really changed to that more proactive approach of thinking about what do the kids want what's the, their behavior communicating what's the function of their behavior and we really kind of role modeled that functional behavior analysis you know, instead of starting with your behavior, we actually started with the kids' behavior. And once we could use that to understand the kids' behavior, then we could also apply it to your own behavior. It's made a huge difference. I feel like a father now. Not there yet, but at least I feel like it. I feel like parenting's one of those things that you'll never, there'll never be a 100% moment. There's always things you could feel like you could do better, but that that's a really noticeable improvement, Barry, and um, well done. Well done to you for... I guess being so open to trying things out and I think part of that as well is like you have a great respect for Jai and for the, the approach and the willingness to try some things out. And one of the, the things about your whole process is that you didn't sit there and say these steps, this, 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 because they don't work for everybody and you always work things out in a, a manner that helped me personally, not just did the, the, the formulas. Yeah, it's that flexible framework that it's flexible to you, to you as a person, to your life and to what you want. And to what I need. The, that's the big thing is you worked out what I needed to help me get to the next step. And that I think, as Jai said, we did that very openly. We averted and explained and discussed everything together. So you're along for the, 
not along for the ride. You were, you were in charge of the ride and we're kind of guiding you and helping you to get there. Yeah, it made a, a huge difference. Um, all of the processes. Um, Jai was actually probably got one of the best years I've, I've had in a long time. <laughs> but even when I was getting frustrated, he would just sort of help me calm down and, and get back on track. I never got really angry in any of our sessions because it was a conversation. It wasn't a doctor and a patient. You have to do this and this and this. And that made a huge difference. You know, it sounds like from Barry's perspective that made the relationship more positive, but it also made the relationship more positive for me as as the clinician. Like, to be honest, I don't really want to feel like I've got to be the expert and know all the answers because it's really anxiety-provoking. So, you know, working in this way, um, you know, I think positive for both the clinician and and the client um, to sort of both feel like equals and, like, neither of you has to have all of the answers, but you can work it out together. And that I think it's important to say is it's not how most clinicians and therapists go into this work or any work there can be the expectation and the pressure to to know all the answers and to know how it's going to play out and I think to to let go of that control can be anxiety provoking or can be something people hold on tightly to that control that sense of um being in charge and I guess there can be a kind of ego attached to that as well that we develop as we become you know very experienced in our work and we we um we have a lot of expertise so I think there's something to be said of of having those conversations and and being really aware of how do you want to relate to the people we work with from very early on as we have done with your training Jai yeah and perhaps that's why you know, um, it didn't feel so hard to relinquish control. I think, you know, maybe in the first few sessions, there was a lot of over-preparation and anxiety about would I know what to say if X, Y, Z came up. But I think quite quickly, and it it probably was this flexible behavior analysis work where I did get that experience really early on of let's just have a conversation uh, and see what happens. Neither of us have to have all the answers. Um, and really liked working in that way. And I think um, since then, it, it was quite easy to carry forward in the work with Barry. And I will say as well, just a shameless plug well, that we have got a research article that is published in the journal called Neuropsychological Rehabilitation that actually interviews the clinicians who trained in the main trial about their experiences of learning and using PBS plus and they shared very similar sentiments to that relinquishing of control that you mentioned Jai which uh, is is a challenge but is also rewarding when you get there and now like to circle back you had two examples you wanted to share about functional behavior or flexible so I'll say that again to circle back you did have two examples that you wanted to share about the flexible behavior analysis. Do you want to talk to us about the work you were doing in terms of the road rage becoming a a sort of driver people could be, your passengers could feel more 
confident and yeah, comfortable so whereas to be the, in charge. The, um, First example was a bit more about sort of role modeling, this sort of flexible behavior uh, analysis tool um, in relation to Barry's children. This one was more so focused on Barry's behavior and the road rage um, when driving. And um, the way this came up was actually really perfect. I don't think it normally works out this way, but, you know, I did have this idea that it would be cool to introduce the concept of background factors to Barry. Because, of course, when we think about antecedents, there's the immediate triggers and then there's the background factors. And with something like road rage, um, you can't always control those immediate triggers. Um, I think, as Barry and I used to say, you can't stop other people from being idiots on the road. Um, that'll happen. But with background factors, those things sort of um, going on in the background um, that aren't sort of immediately preceding the behavior and yet sort of um, can prime you to respond in a particular way or, you know, sort of elevate you on that anger management scale before you're even in the car. There's some more wiggle room with those. Um, you can often, some of those will be modifiable. Um, and so we were in session and I think I was just asking Barry a little bit about how his week had been. And uh, we got onto talking about COVID and the lockdown and the stress associated with that. And Barry happened to say, um, you know, COVID's just this thing that's always going on in the background. Uh, and so that was a, a perfect and really natural segue into talking about background factors. And so we started talking about it in the context of road rage. And again, like with the parenting example, I shared my screen, we made a table with sort of, you know, background factors, triggers, consequences, and so forth. And, um, you know, Barry, again, had really good insight um, and could start to come up with some ideas of what might be some of these background factors that sort of prime him to experience road rage when someone is an idiot on the road. And so we identified things like sleep, because um, Barry was having to get up quite early to take his wife to work. Um, we talked about pain and fatigue. We also talked about low mood. Um, and I think in the first instance, it was a little bit... Um, overwhelming to have all of those things written out that all of these things are making me angry and frustrated. Um, well, we tried to flip that a little bit in the sense that, well, this is good news because we can't stop someone from being an idiot on the road, but there are actually things we can do to help with sleep and to help with pain and to help with fatigue and to help with mood. And when it doesn't really almost matter which one of those we work on, it's up to you, but working on any of these is going to help with that road rage because all of these we've identified as being background factors. Yeah, I think that's really fantastic that, you, you know, you can really see how Barry is learning about his own antecedents, those setting events, as some people also call them, that can really be opportunities to address those in the intervention where the trigger is maybe outside of, of your control. So talk me through then... What was the, uh, the the next steps in the work that you did? Yeah, so that was all about um, working on the, the A's or the antecedents in ABC. So antecedents before the behavior, B is the behavior, and C are uh, the consequences, the things that come after the behavior. So in this process, we also um, had discussions around, well, what are the consequences of road rage? Uh, you know, Barry sort of described these as not being productive, didn't really 
serve a, a purpose for him to get angry it was more of a sort of immediate, you know, hair trigger reaction. And then following that, there are what we call the next consequences. So, you know, one thing that Barry said was that, you know, really this, this wasn't productive for him, that there weren't any positive consequences um, of the road rage. Um, and then, you know, there were some undesirable consequences. So feeling really heightened, you know, we talked about anger as being this thing that comes on really quickly. And then Barry would sort of reflect that for the next 20 minutes or so, you know, he was feeling really stressed and anxious whilst in the car. Um, and, you know, on top of that, Barry talked a little bit earlier about his, you know, wife not feeling as comfortable being in the car anymore. So that was a really important consequence to reflect on. Um, you know, and it got to the stage at one point where Barry's wife would hit out at him panicking about the road rage and feeling quite fearful. Um, and then, you know, those consequences sort of compound on one another because if you're getting really heightened in the car and then someone's hitting at you, you're even more likely to get angry the next time someone cuts you off. And it sort of just becomes this, this vicious cycle, um, which is why it can be so helpful then to, you know, okay, these are the C's, but let's work on the A's, the antecedents, what comes before the behavior and nip it in the bud before we get to that vicious cycle where it's really hard to sort of pull out of that. And I know then you also had a bit of a plan for when, when and Barry, you do get agitated or angry with another driver, what's something else you could do instead of, you know, getting getting the car up and close to them or holding your hand on the horn for a long time or it just even escalating further than that what are some of the things you do now if you sort of see someone cut you up off on the road or do something dangerous oh well now i take the 10 breaths um i swear at the moment of my breath and occasionally i've actually pulled up just pulled over take five minutes um it's working it's not a hundred percent but it's working it's making things a bit better. Well, yeah, well done. I mean, that's a big change from what you were doing. And I think my theory is that having you, I don't, I don't know how, how this would have gone if we had done all the work outside of our time with you and just told you what you needed to do. Because really you figured out what was going to help you after we had those conversations to sort of set the scene of, well, what is the impact on you? What would you like to do instead? Yeah, well, what I want to do instead is just call up an idiot under my breath and get on with my life. That's where it should be. That's how it used to be. That's what it has to get back to. And, you know, I think we've only been working together for, I think it's less than six months. So you've, you've come a really, really long way in that time. You know, there's a lot... F- for you to be proud of, even having this discussion now and the reflections that you're making about what's been helpful and, and what you've got out of it and what you've needed is it's just really fantastic. Yeah, it is. I'm not in paradise yet. I can see light at the end of the tunnel, which I couldn't see 12 months ago or six months ago. I guess that's what this podcast is about, that relentless optimism, not that things are perfect now, or and we don't know where things will get to. We don't make promises, but we're optimistic that there will be something that works. And as we, I think, 
start to get some runs on the board and start to see some improvements, I think that builds up the confidence and the momentum to keep going forward and see where see where we get to. Yeah, it's making a difference. What you guys have done is woken up a few bits that I don't know, went to sleep, switched off, whatever. There's positive signs that if I keep going and keep trying, I'll probably never be where I was before, but I can be better than I am now. And that that's the important thing. Just try and be better than you are now. And you have, yeah, you have certainly been working hard to do that. You know, you're so motivated. And I know, Jai, you can see a lot of really positive traits and attributes that that Barry has as well that I think, you know, we're such a strength-based approach. And I think it's really, it's, it's really, for me, it's what I really like about this work to be able to work with someone who had, you know, for anyone that has these challenges that has, you know, difficulties with controlling their, their sort of mood and anger and behavior. And yet, you know, some serious problems and yet you can work with somebody focused on their strengths. Yeah. And it makes the work more fun. I think, um, Sounds, you know, maybe a bit strange to talk about, you know, having fun working on confronting issues. But I think when you do focus on the strengths and you you make it collaborative, that it, it can be a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, speaking of, of Barry's strengths, you know, I, I think I've said multiple times throughout this conversation, just how insightful he is, the, the degree of self-awareness he has. But also, you know, now, just now, you know, talking about the light at the end of the tunnel, like Barry's got a lot of perseverance and is so willing to just try things out and see how they go. Uh, and it's it's not the end of the world if they don't work. It's a, a learning experience. And then we try something else. And, um, you know, maybe things would be different if Barry didn't have so much perseverance. But, um, yeah, that's been a major strength uh, and it's, you know, I've been really yeah, spoiled. I mean, to work we've with been him. lucky to have you too, Jai. And um, you know, I think you've you've both done some yeah really great work together. And um, yeah, there's so many. I know there's so many more things that you did in 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 the work that we haven't really got to yet. But maybe one one last um, you know um, insight or example into some of the things that you were doing. I think sort of speaks to. Barry's outlook on life now is this, you know, it's not perfect. We don't expect it to, but a really balanced view, I think through one of the metaphors that you you developed. Yeah. So quite, you know, early on, I think um, Barry and I were sort of looking at things through different colored glasses. You know, I sort of had um, these rose colored glasses on, if anything, where I was maybe being a little too positive. And I think that can sometimes feel a bit invalidating when, you know, actually, things are really hard for you right now. So to have someone sort of only focusing on the positives can be a bit dismissive. And then, you know, on the flip side, Barry had on what we started to call the poo colored glasses. So, you know, quite a negative way of looking at things and getting really hooked on negative thoughts about, you know, everything's crap and and this is crap and I'm a burden and things aren't going well for me. Um, And again, this is another really good example of, Barry and I being on equal footing and sort of realizing we needed to come together and find a middle ground. Um, And Barry called those the yellow colored night vision goggles as sort of that happy middle ground where, 
you know, I think Barry said it has said it actually a couple times throughout today's chat, you know, about um, it's helping, but I'm not 100%. That sort of, you know, recognition that I'm not there yet, but also that I have made progress and things are working and I'm heading in the right direction. You know, that's a real shift from where we actually started. Um, and I think that sort of adjustment to the injury and way of thinking about recovery um, has been um, a real positive change throughout the work we've been it's doing. It's a really balanced view and it's lovely that you kind of started on opposite sides and that you've sort of come together to this place that's really helpful for both of you because it's not it's not sort of optimistic in in a way that should be ignoring head in the sand about the problems. Um, but you, you sort of, I think, I think you need optimism. You need to have hope to be able to do this work because often the people that we're supporting, they're feeling pretty pessimistic. They're feeling like, you know, their life is, has been changed in such a negative way from, from their injury and nothing's working and things sometimes are getting worse as people kind of go down this slippery slope or this downward spiral. So I think it is about finding that, that right balance of respectful, relentless optimism, meeting them where they're at, but being that person that is willing to keep trying until you find out what works, because there is always something that's going to work. And it's, it's about, I think, working together in, in a really genuine way um, that, you know, is, is, yeah, beyond that lip service to, you know, what are your goals? Let's work on them. But to really, to do that in a sort of supremely collaborative approach, I think, is optimistic. It's sort of, it's sort of flavors and peppered through everything and every interaction really. Absolutely. And you need it because this is really hard work. Yeah. It makes it sound easy when you can kind of present it at the end and go, we did this and that. And I think, you know, what's unique about this episode is that we're not, we're not finished. We're only, I guess, halfway, but I think, you know, Barry, you're so insightful and reflective that it's, it's so useful to, to hear your journey and, and Jai, your perspective as well of learning this and, and, you know, from where you started, where this is pretty intimidating and it feels like a really big jump from theory to practice to now, sort of slipping in and out of the practice and the theory and seeing it all kind of come together and being able to use that in a really skilled way hopefully gives um, some optimism <laughs> to others who want to give this a go. Six months ago, there's no way I would have tried that job <clears throat> that I tried last week. I did four days as a courier and there's no way I would have done that. didn't work. Um, I did end up getting too stressed out on the road, but I gave it, you know, a week. That's your relentless optimism that you've given me. It really is. You've made a huge difference, guys. Thanks, Barry. And, you know, it's it's a huge achievement that you were able to do that job and that you didn't lose your temper. You noticed yourself getting stressed. You took some actions to, to decide for yourself this time that this wasn't working and that you've reflected and learnt from that, that, you know, for you, an office job is going to be more sustainable and shifting from just wanting to find a job to now thinking about 
what is it going to take? What are those key ingredients for me to find and keep a job that's going to be suitable for me? Something that you can control. Expert. <laughs> you are. Do you remember what my um, version of an expert was? 30 years in IT. X is algebra for the unknown and a spurt is a drip under pressure. I, I don't know that I'm smart enough to understand that. <laughs> I've changed. Um, you guys, I'm not experts, but you're about as close as anybody wants to get. You're flexible enough and you've got the smarts. Jai, I have to say that if you ever need a reference, you've got one. Yeah, I seriously mean that. Kate, well, that comes with that saying. But. Well, I'm more interested in you saying that you're the expert. Tell me what you mean by that. I'm still a drip under pressure, but I'm learning a lot of ways to to reduce the pressure and make it not quite such a spurt. And it's it has made a, a huge difference. To actually drive for between 8 and 13 hours a day for four days, and not actually have a road rage. Towards the end of the fourth day, I was had two incidences where I got not as flexible as I'm allowed to be, and I did get grumpy, but I didn't cut anybody off or threaten to punch anybody out. Or, to do that for four days and then say, no, this, just, this is not what I can do, and it's means that I've got to a point where my brain understands that this doesn't work. That's six months of talking to you guys. Stuff has sunk in. Uh, still got some work to do with my wife, absolutely. My kids, I, I don't think you ever stop working with that, but they're smiling now. Things are getting better. That's the whole goal. Things get better. Absolutely. And Barry, I don't think we could have said it better than you. I think you really demonstrate that expertise that you are developing of yourself and your injury and what works for you. And I can't thank you enough for coming onto this podcast today and sharing where you're at with your journey, um, you know, many, many years into your life and a few years after an injury and six months into this this work that we're doing, um, it's all part of your life story. And um, I hope our listeners have really found that useful in understanding a bit more about PBS Plus, understanding particularly antecedents within that flexible behavior analysis of our different ways of checking in and understanding what, what behaviors are happening, what the functions are, why they're happening, and how to flexibly and collaboratively come up with ways to to try some things out that could help and really at the center of this that it's about being so person-driven so collaborative and helping you Barry become a confident expert on yourself so that you can do this in your own right and that's certainly what we're seeing already so well well done to you Barry and well done to you Jai for um you know really your you know, fantastic work. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Barry. Thanks so much. Well done. Thanks for being part of the podcast and I hope you enjoyed. So the PBS Plus website is monash.edu forward slash PBS PLUS. You can sign up to stay in the loop about our training opportunities and our latest research. 
We're also on Twitter at Relentless Opt and Facebook, Relentless Optimism Podcasts. If you have any questions or you want to continue a conversation, please feel free to reach out by social media or email. That's relentless.optimism at monash.edu. This podcast is produced by me, Kate Gould, and Chiara Corso. Editing by James McPherson. Graphics by Kat Orgallo of Zenzi Design and Trevor. Also, as a disclaimer, this podcast is for general educational and informational purposes, and it is not a replacement for personal medical or therapeutic advice. So please consult your healthcare professionals for any medical or therapy questions or to arrange access to support. And I hope you come away from each episode feeling relentlessly optimistic that there is always something that works. 